Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Concussion Talk Podcast. My name is Nick Mercer. I write Concussion Talk www.concussiontalk.com This is episode 26 and today I'll be talking to Dr. Carmela Tartaglia. Dr. Tartaglia is a neurologist, a professor at the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine and a researcher at the Cranville Research Institute and the Canadian Concussion Centre. She was recently awarded the Marion and Gerald Soloway Professorship in Brain Injury and Concussion Research, which is the first professorship in the world focused on concussion research. It is a joint appointment between the University of Toronto and the University Health Network. Dr. Tatalia and I talk about concussion and CTE research. We learn what she's working on with her research and we touch on important areas of brain function, such as memory. Okay, I'm on the phone now with Dr. Tartaglia of UHN and U of T Medicine and in Toronto, and I will get her now to, to introduce herself and talk about her her time at both UHC, University of California, San Francisco Memory and Aging Center, and Campbell Neurosciences Center, Memory Center's Memory Clinic and the other areas of her that where she's working. So, Dr. Tatalia, please. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, I'm a cognitive neurologist and clinician scientist at the um, um, University Health Network at uh, University of Toronto and the uh, Crumble Neuroscience uh, Center's Memory Clinic. My uh, Research is uh, through the Canadian Concussion Center as well as the TAN Center for Research in Neurodegenerative Disease. Uh, I did my medical school at McGill and my residency at the University of Western Ontario. And then I did uh, three years of postdoctoral training at the University of California San Francisco Memory and Aging Center. Um, my um, research focus is on neurodegenerative disease 
and in uh, concussion and post-concussion syndrome. Wow, that's uh, that's, that's very impressive. So mm -hmm. you're a neurologist and professor yeah. at U of T, yeah. school faculty of medicine or school of medicine? Yeah. Um, so what are some of the courses you've taught and what are they about? So most of the teaching that I do is uh, at, is through the university, but as well the lay public. And at the university, I teach um, medical students about dementia. Uh, I also teach um, um, undergraduate graduate undergraduate courses as well as graduate courses on neurodegeneration, which includes uh, uh, different t causes of dementia, uh, so frontotemporal dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, but a big portion of my work is dedicated towards chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the the degenerative disease that we associate with multiple concussions. Okay, so what is just a for me? What is front? Is that frontal? Is that frontal temporal dementia? Dementia. Yeah. So What's, what is that? What, how is that compared to Alzheimer's? What's the difference? So there are two different. So dementia is is an umbrella term. And it basically uh, encompasses a number of causes of dementia. One of them is Alzheimer's disease. That's the one most people know about. Yeah. And there's vascular disease. But there's a whole other group of, uh, uh, a whole other cause, let's say, and it's called frontotemporal lobar degeneration. And it houses six different syndromes. Um, and one of the reasons I got into this concussion work is that my work in frontotemporal dementia is is with patients who have pretty significant behavioral changes and uh, so you know their personality yeah. gets uh, really altered and as you may know or have heard that uh, people with chronic traumatic encephalopathy have you know lots of personality changes associated with their disease oh wow. yeah no that's that's very that's very just fits very well and uh so you are you're not working in that research area of concussions and CTE, hopefully, and uh, so. Sorry. And you are you are not working in the area of concussion concussion research and CTE research. CTE research. Yeah. And uh, in but in 2016, so last year, last July or November, you were awarded the Marion and Gerald Holloway Professorship in Brain Injury and Concussion Research, which is the first professorship in the world focused on concussion research. So could you talk about this professorship and what research you specifically will be working on? Uh, yes, uh, it's great. This, uh, this, this um, professorship is really to focus on um, brain injury and concussion research. So it provides us funds with uh, so that we can focus our uh, research. Uh, as you may know, it's a difficult uh, area to uh, obtain funding in. Um, and so this allows us to explore um, different aspects of this problem. So we, we have a, a biomarker program, which is basically, um, as you, you may or may not know, it's, it's kind of difficult to detect the changes that occur in the brain when people have concussion or uh, suffer from post-concussion syndrome or even chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And so we have a lot of uh, uh, people and resources devoted to trying to detect this in the brain. We know that something changes in the brain, but uh, we don't have a means to detect it right now. And so we uh, are researching this area so that, you know, if you provided a treatment to somebody, uh, you would be able to, one, 
you know, if you had the treatment, you'd be able to detect who should get the treatment and then follow whether it's improved, you know, causing the improvement that you want. Uh, yeah. And, so, and so, the other aspect, are, sorry. I'm sorry, no, go ahead, please. Um, so, you know, and the other aspect is uh, really to try to find better treatments. So we, we have, you know, some, some treatment trials that we're, that we're embarking on um, and, and, you know, a little bit about, you know, prevention. Um, it's really important to educate people and to really make people understand that, you know, one of the crucial aspects about, uh, about suffering uh, persistent symptoms is, is the problem of getting concussions while you're still recovering from the first concussion. Exactly, yeah. So you, what research have you done in this area already? So we, we have a number of research programs. So uh, we have one where, as I mentioned, we're trying to detect ways to, to see, to, we're trying to find ways to detect changes in the brain that occur, right? As somebody tells you that something has changed, they, you know, they have a change in personality and their memory and their thinking, something has changed. And so what, you know, how, how are you going to be able to detect this? So we have a multimodal approach. We do imaging. We do sophisticated, you know, imaging where we cannot, we don't look just at the structures with your regular MRI. We look at, you know, high resolution images. We can look at the white matter changes. We can look at the connectivity of the brain. As well, we have PET imaging available. So really trying to detect the change that occurs in, in chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the buildup of this protein called tau. So we have a PET program to try to detect this in the brains of people. Uh, we also look at eye changes. So people, you know, maybe their eye movements change or the, what they focus on will change. And so we have a program to look at uh, eye, eye movement changes. Uh, we also collect blood for genetics. Are there, you know, certain genes that make you more vulnerable? Okay. We're, we're looking at the, the cerebral spinal fluid and trying to relate the proteins that build up in the cerebral spinal fluid to what we see in the brain. So we have a very multimodal approach um, to trying to detect the change, see, you know, is there any place we could intervene? And then, so some of our findings to date have been, have been uh, related to the changes that occur in the brain. So we know that certain white matter tracts in the brain uh, are changed. Uh, we know that some of the structures like uh, the hippocampi might be changed uh, in, in people who've suffered multiple concussions. And we can relate some of those changes to the complaints that they have, to their, to their function, their memory function, let's say. Oh, well, that's... That's a re actually you mentioned the research about eye movement, and uh, and I was, I've just I don't think I've had any concussions, but I've had a, had a serious severe brain injury in 2003, and uh, <laughs> I I have had double vision since then, so I can yeah. attest this to the how eye movements have changed a lot, and uh, and uh, actually I've read a lot about this uh, white white matter degeneration so could you uh, this is not one of the questions I've read I've wrote I've wrote you earlier but as there what is about what is about white matter what what's the what's its role and why is it so important that it is now it's you find that it's, it's being degenerated in the in the brain after concussions so the 
you know, the, the brain is made up of white matter and gray matter. So gray matter are, you know, the cortex. It's, it's where the cell bodies live. But the, all the gray matter has to talk to other parts of the brain. And the yeah. way it does that is through white matter tracks. Okay, okay. so these are connections. And so we, we know that, you know, in a major traumatic brain injury, there's, there's a lot of injury to the brain. And so there's a lot of times injury to the cortex, the gray matter, as well as the white matter. But in concussion, a lot of the harm, uh, the injury seems to be to the white matter tract. And when you do a regular MRI in concussion, you don't see anything. It looks normal. But we have more sophisticated methods for really getting a better handle of those connections themselves, like looking at the axons right, a, a little more directly. And in those cases, we are starting to see that there probably are changes that occur. Uh, they're subtle, okay, there's, there's no big, big dramatic change, but there seems to be repeatedly subtle changes that are occurring, uh, which may or may not be reversible, we're not sure, but um, that may explain the symptoms that people are complaining about. You know, when, when people have concussions, and the, you know, most people get better, but yeah. there's, you know, and like 85 to 90% get better, but you know, over time, there's a big portion, you know, like if you think of 10% over time not getting better, uh, yeah. that ends up being a lot of people who yeah. don't recover for, from their concussion. And so they, they have a post-concussion syndrome. And so yeah. those are the people we're trying to study and see, okay, what, what has changed in the brain for them not to be able to, con- to, to recover? Sometimes, the, you know, the accident doesn't seem huge, right? Like, 10 people have the same car accident and, and eight of them recover and two of them don't. And you look at the forces, you look at the speed, you look at the impact, and it all looks the same. But obviously there's differences because most people recovered and these two didn't. So what's the difference? Yeah, right. Hmm? Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I just agree with you. Let's see if yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, part of it could be related to the fact that Let's say, you know, you, you have a different genetic makeup, right? We all have different genes, and so some of us are more vulnerable to some illnesses than others, right? Some of us might be more vulnerable to an impact. The other thing is your, your environment, you know, your, your upbringing, your past is not the same as mine. Uh, all the other environmental factors could have a, an impact also, and so together with the concussion lead to a different outcome. So all these things need to be looked at more carefully because... We really today don't understand why people get better and why some people don't. And so it's very hard when the first the person presents at the time of the accident uh, to figure out who is going to get better and who is not. And, yeah. you know, I mean, when you think of the number of people having concussions, it's like it's millions and millions of people, right? Like we all hit our heads sometimes. Yeah. and. And most times, you you don't even remember that you did it. You 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 feel fine afterwards. So, how are we going to better understand those few people that over time end up being a lot who don't get better? And so, this is what you know we, we're devoting a lot of our research to is trying to figure out why these people don't get better. You know, and it's the same thing with professional athletes, like. You know, I, I study um, p- uh, former football players. M- many of them have had multiple concussions, like many, many concussions before their professional career, during their professional career, and some of them even after, right? Because they're human beings like the yeah. rest of us. 
biggest. And some are doing very well. And some are doing not very well at all. Yeah. And, you know, why? Well, and that, I think, is the important question is, you know, some people, maybe they shouldn't be going into professions where they are vulnerable, right, to, to having their head hit over and over again. And right. other people are pretty resilient, you know, and it would be nice to know, well, what's that resiliency factor, right? Or maybe you could bottle it and give yeah. it to <laughs> So. So that's it. That's what we're trying to understand because right now we we don't have a really good grasp of this at all. Right. Actually, because it's been sorry, sorry. Go ahead. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. No, I was going to say, and, and the funds of this professor, professorship are, are, you know, direly required for, for studying this because it's really, these are tough questions and it's not easy to, to obtain funding for really tough questions uh, these days. Exactly. No, that's so true. And mm -hmm. uh, I realized you speaking of your professional football players and because you actually recently, you both, I don't know how recently actually, you posted paper in the Journal of Neurology showing mm -hmm. that the brains of former former football players show noticeable differences between of those in the control group. 
compared to, and so could you talk about this research and how memory and aging are related to brain brain injuries in professional former former professional football players? Yeah. So so we have uh, some research showing that you know what the white matter tracks of the football players are are different than the gray, than uh, the normal control. So you know at a group level we showed that. The, this group of football players, of former professional football players, yeah. had changes in one white matter tract compared to their equivalent controls. And this change was related to a memory uh, task. So, you know, uh, the what you want to always show is that the change that you observe is actually important in the world. Right. Like, yeah. you know, if, if I show that my brain is different than yours, but we're, we're the, exactly the same in every way, then what's what's the point? So what we did show was that there was this difference and this difference explained some of the deficits that we saw in this one visual memory task. So and so, oh, sorry. And, and, and so, you know, we continue to explore this and, and we have another uh, paper that we're about to submit, uh, but the data had already, has already been uh, presented at the uh, Alzheimer's Association International meeting uh, last summer. And basically this one showed that on a, on a lar- in a large group of these former football players, uh, when you look at them, they, their brains didn't look like the gray matter areas. So not talking about the white matter anymore, the gray matter in the controls did not look different than in the players. But when you try to plot their brains against age, and, you know, everybody's brain shrinks with age. You know, when you're 30, your brain starts to shrink. But there's an acceptable amount of age every year. And what we showed was that the football players, their brain seems to be shrinking at a faster rate than other people. So this data is not longitudinal data. It's not the same person being scanned over and over again. But when we look at a large group of players, of former football players, over the you know lifespan of not a 30 to 80, and then we take a group of normal controls who have never been concussed, we see that the, the lines of... of, of um, shrinkage, uh, the relationship between age and shrinking are different. So it looks like it's much more precipitous in the former football players, which is, which is a little bit worrisome, you know, seems to, yeah. you know, you, you would almost postulate that maybe something about them, uh, something that's happened to them is making their brain more vulnerable to this shrinkage pro- shrinking process that occurs in everybody. And you think some of the shrinking is through the shrinking, some of the shrinking is involved the shrinking hippocampi of these professional athletes? Yeah, so that's what came out as the important structure, is that it was the hippocampi in these former athletes that was shrinking more than it should for a given age. And what does the hippocampi do for the brain? So the hippocampi are, are essential for remembering, for memory. Okay. And and you also and you're, you're looking at you're looking at shrinking hippocampi, and yeah. also new tag for tau proteins. So, do you talk about developments in CTE chronic traumatic encephalopathy research? 
So one and of the, what it earlier, sorry, what it means earlier diagnosis of this disease. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now the way the field stands is um, we cannot detect chronic traumatic encephalopathy in a person who's alive. No. This yeah. diagnosis is one that you make after somebody dies. But as you you probably know. The only way you, be, you would be able to do anything about this is if you detected it while the person's alive. Exactly. Stop the disease, right? So we're working on trying to detect this this illness because you know there's some people there. You know, if you if you take 20 former players who've all been concussed multiple times, some of them are doing really well and others are not. But it's hard to know. You know, what's the relationship to this pathology, this disease? Uh, you, you probably heard not uh, earlier this year, uh, sorry, earlier last year, um, there was a 49-year-old uh, hockey player who uh, ended up committing suicide. And he, yeah. he was convinced, um, you know, part of the reason that he supposedly did this is because he was convinced he had chronic traumatic encephalopathy because yeah. he supposedly displayed all the signs and symptoms of it, but he didn't have it. And he didn't have even another neurodegenerative disease in the brain. And, and this is, is, is the, you know, I think the most tragic of situations. And yeah. one that we really don't want to see is that people who, uh, you know, are feeling that something is wrong, they don't feel well, they're really, you know, either depressed or anxious or you know, feel that there's been significant changes in their cognition, their memory, um, their personality, and and yet we don't know what the cause of that is. And so in some cases, they do believe that they have CTE, but we can't tell, and so we can't really do anything. And, and the saddest thing would be that you give up on somebody because you actually do think they have CTE and that there's nothing to be done about CTE. Uh, so we're really working very hard to be able to detect this disease while people are alive um, at early stages so that you could possibly intervene. You know, if you could pick up, you could imagine that if you could pick up the towel when a person is just starting to develop it, then, you know, maybe you could give them a drug against towel. Yeah, there's exactly. A, there's, yeah. there's a number of drugs in uh, production now uh, and in clinical trials and other diseases that are against towel. And so you would, you could imagine that, you know, in the near future, if we could pick out who has it, you would put them in this clinical trial to see if you could stop it. Again, there's another question, just not on the sheet I gave you, but so what? What does I, mean, I know? I know the tau buildup in the brain for CT is a bad thing, but what? What is the tau protein for? Like theoretically, what does it? What is it? What is this job for a tau protein? Proper. Tau is in everybody's brain. It's uh, part of the axons, those white matter tracks. It helps build, you know, it gives them stability, okay? So yeah. it's, it's very important. And in some diseases, it gets altered for some reason. And when it gets altered, it ends up changing its shape. And then it, it changes its shape and ends up uh, clumping so that there's a buildup of oh, this yeah. right. in, in different diseases. So it's not just in CTE. There's a similar tau protein in Alzheimer's disease. There's a, another, a different version of it in frontotemporal dementia. So this is 
tau is not only in CTE, um, but in CTE, it builds up in certain areas that are different than in these other diseases. So tau is something you've looked at before, but when you're working at the memory and aging centers and Alzheimer's research and dementia, that's yeah, you're very aware of it. There I was looking at it as on a pathological level. Here we're actually, we, we now, this is new, so we're the first ones in Canada to be doing this. And I. Hello? We lost her, sorry. Been around. Um, you know, oh, oh, sorry, 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 I got to pause it. I don't know, I haven't paused it. Okay, I'm really lost you for a second though, sorry, so could you repeat that? You were saying you were used to, you found tau. So when I was at UCSF, the tau, yeah. that the tau research I was doing was more at a pathological level, but this is a different type of research because this is trying to use PET and this tag for tau with the PET and to find tau in vivo built up in different parts of the brain that, you know, would be... Um, you know what we consider to be pathological or bad for you. So it's not it's not detecting the normal tau, which is supposed to be in everybody. It's really to detect the abnormal tau. Okay. So uh, actually, could you, could you quickly just what does what does PET stand for? PET, oh, PET sorry, yeah. is positron emission tomography. It's a type of scan. So you know MRI is one type of scan. Yeah. CT, uh, there's a positron emission tomography, and it's a nuclear scan. So we can basically put a nuclear label onto a protein like tau. Oh, it can go right down there. And then you you can inject it in to somebody, wow. and then it, it can bind this. Wow. So, so then you could hopefully detect it. But it's, you know, at a research stage still, we, we don't, you know, if we had it, we would use it. We're, yeah, yeah, sure enough, yeah. Searching this as a possible label for tau. Right. I was going to ask you: Are there any other areas of brain research that you would like to explore? But it sounds like your plate is pretty full for the next, however long this long long while. So there's, there's a lot of research to be done, and it sounds all encompassing. But are there any other areas that not to say you want to research because you and I have the ability at the time for just you to research all that, but uh, any other areas that you find really intriguing, but not maybe not related to Tau, but that are for concussion research that are interesting? Well, so I, I think that, you know, one of the big areas that, you know, we're involved in and many people is really trying to understand why some people are vulnerable to concussion. And I think uh, we're looking at it through the genes, Okay. Uh, we have some cerebral spinal fluid, but I think, you know, this is going to be, this, understanding why some people are resilient is going to be just as important as figuring out why some people are vulnerable. And uh, I think in that way, we might be able to make a, a difference. So I think this is going to be an active area of, of research in the next few years. It certainly sounds like it, and that, that, that all, all the research you mentioned sounds very fascinating. And best of luck to everyone at the... Canadian Concussion Center and uh, at UHN and anywhere doing research in concussions that matter. So uh, thank you very much, Dr. Tartaglia. This is Tartaglia, sorry, Tartaglia. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me.
I hope the audio was okay for everyone. I would like to thank Dr. Titalia once again for a very interesting conversation. She's doing absolutely fascinating research. And I wish her all the best and the whole team at the Canadian Concussion Center, UHN, and Cranville Research Institute. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out my website and my latest post about how I would like to do more public speaking about brain injury. www.concussiontalk.com Thanks again for listening. As always, the music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound. www.bensound.com 